All right, if you would please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2 and the song we've just been singing actually speaks to this story Matthew chapter 2 and I'd like to preach to you out of the first 11 verses today about how to handle Christmas how to handle Christmas and uh, I think we're familiar with this story so I'm not going to read all of it from the beginning but I am going to go through it piece by piece with you and as we talk about handling Christmas we actually had a question that somewhat speaks to this there are many different approaches right and and not all of them wrong but many different approaches to how we handle Christmas in the earliest days of the church hardly anyone celebrated the birthday of Jesus it wasn't to them the the main focus of the coming of the Messiah the main part was the death the burial and the resurrection of Christ but as we've just been talking about a moment ago The idea of celebrating one day above another, if you deem that day to be important, you're more than welcome to celebrate that. The the problem, however, when we talk about approaches to Christmas, is what exactly are we remembering about Christmas? Are are we remembering that, that Jesus was born? Is that it? Is that the entirety of it? Are we remembering what he taught us? Are we remembering that he died? And I'll tell you the biggest problem I think is we're just doing it once a year if if that once a year we think on and celebrate and honor the fact that God came down in human form to die for us if that's a once a year event there's something wrong that's the wrong approach every day we should to a certain extent acknowledge and celebrate how wonderful it is that God cared about us enough to come down as a babe in a manger what, what a tremendous thing to do for, for people like us. So the idea of celebrating it only once a year and then never living as if Jesus came the rest of the other 364 days, I think that would definitely be a wrong approach. Now, how you go about celebrating this day on Christmas Day, that's, as we've said, completely between you and the Lord. But let's make sure that we act as if Jesus came every other day of the year. When, when you read in the Old Testament, God commanded the Jews to celebrate the Passover, right? And he told them to do it once a year. He told them to celebrate the Day of Atonement. That was one day a year. The idea of taking one day in the year and lifting it up above the others and reminding the nation, in this case of Israel, that there was a Passover, it, it simply brings that event to the forefront of your mind so that the other 365 days of the year, or 64 days of the year, you do not forget that God sent redemption, that he rescued you out of your Egypt. So the fact that we take certain days on, let's call it the Christian calendar, and lift them up a little bit and celebrate them, it's not a bad thing. Now, we're doing it on December 25th. Again, we've talked about this already this morning. I don't think this is the day that Jesus was born, but this is the day that we all have scheduled on the calendar that allows us to remember it. So the fact that we lift it up and talk about it I don't think is a bad approach. I don't think it's a wrong way to handle Christmas. In this passage, there are three ways that Christmas was handled. Let me first tell you, in Matthew 2, Jesus was not born in this passage. Even though we just sang that in the first Noel, right? That, that's actually not what happened. Jesus was born in Luke chapter 2, 
what we're reading in Matthew chapter 2, it actually happens about two years after Jesus had been born. The wise men begin their journey when Jesus was born, but it took them time to get to, and the fitting term here, going back to Martin Luther, the Christ child. And you're going to see in the passage, he's not referred to as an infant or a baby. He is referred to as a young child. And the wise men do not find Jesus and his mother at the manger or at the inn. They find them in a house, right? So it's a different setting completely. Now, before we go on, uh, let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us with this lesson. And then we'll go through this passage together. Father, thank you this morning that we're able to come and open up the Word of God and have you speak to our hearts. As any other Sunday, Lord, we have assembled because we want to be edified, we want to be provoked unto love and to good works, we want to be reminded of what you've done for us. Please make these things real to us, speak to our hearts, and if anybody here is not saved, might this be the day that they walk away with their redemption. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So there's three groups represented in the passage. Let me just give you my outline. There's one group that is greatly interested. Now, I'm using a, a, a word that starts with the letter I, but I think interested is speaking very, let's say, uh, calmly about their, their position on this. The Bible tells us they, the wise men had exceeding great joy. So when I say interested, that's to say the least. Right? Then there's another group. And that other group is intimidated. They're intimidated. We'll talk more about that. And then there's another group in the passage. I'm going to say they're ignorant. And, and somewhat willingly, but then somewhat also it's just they're a product of their culture. So be looking for that as we go through it. All right, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 to begin with. We'll, we're introduced to the interested group. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how many wise men there were. Again, in the song we just sang, there were three. That's the typical number you see because there were three gifts given, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. However, there could have been 20 men in just offering those three gifts. So we're not sure how many wise men, but they've been traveling from the east well, that doesn't narrow it down very much now, does it? We're not quite sure what country they're from, but there is a, a very high likelihood that they are from Babylon, what the Bible would call Babylon. We would refer to as Iraq today, just that Mesopotamian area. Generally in the Bible, when they say the east, it's pointing to that area. They are come to Jerusalem, and in verse 2, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. They have traveled a very, very far journey just to get one glimpse of this young child. Now notice when they show up, they say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? In verse 2 it says, saying. It's an ongoing thing. They went to Jerusalem, I don't know, knocked at one door and goes, have you guys seen the king of the Jews? Uh, we... we we believe he's just recently been born. Have you seen him? You know, no, you don't. They go to the next door. You know where he's at? They are seeking. And they're asking everybody. And this, by the way, ties into the ignorant part. How many people in Israel were not paying attention for some special birth to take place? How is it that these wise men from the east were clued in 
that the Messiah would be showing up at that particular time. You say, well, it has to do with the star. Now, we're going to talk more about the star in a moment. As we come through some of these other verses, you'll, you'll see there's, it's a little difficult to narrow down what that star was. But if you saw a star in the sky and it twinkled a little brightly and began moving, you would probably think something special is happening, right? The way this star acted in the story, definitely something special was happening. You would know that. But how would you know that a star blinking equals king of the Jews? Why would you put those two things together? These are a group of Gentiles. Think about this. Traveling hundreds, maybe thousands of kilometers to come and find the king of the Jews that's just been born. Why would they be interested in the king of the Jews? It's interesting that they use that designation. King of the Jews. I want you to hold your place here. Come to Daniel chapter 5. I'd like to show you a verse or two I think that would help us understand what might have happened there. Daniel chapter 5. Now, how many of you have heard this term, the magi, right? The wise men in this story are called magi. And the reason they're, they're called that, the word is spelled M-A-G-I, magi. And it's the plural of the word magos, M-A-G-O-S, or magos, if you want to say it with a j there. Now, that magi, you, you might just from maybe spelling it out in your mind, M-A-G-I, Finish it like this, C-I-A-N-S, magician. Magi was, that's the Greek word for wise men. But that also was the word for a magician or a sorcerer, something like that. In the book of Daniel, you find that Daniel was trained alongside wise men, astrologers, and magicians. Look at Daniel chapter 5, verse 11. Now, you, you remember where Daniel was when he was in captivity. He was in Babylon, yes? That's in the east. That's in the east. By the way, this is the same area where Abraham was from. And this is the same area where most likely the Garden of Eden was. There's heavy spiritual activity in this area. And, and by the way, one of the earliest Christian communities outside of Jerusalem after the church was started was in this area over there near what we call Iraq. Even Peter wrote to the saints in Babylon, if you're familiar with 1 Peter chapter 5. I wonder, I wonder if these magi didn't somehow lay some foundation to say, hey, something special is happening over there in Israel. Now, where would they have gotten this information? Daniel 5, look at verse 11. This is when Belshazzar saw the handwriting on the wall. Daniel comes in to interpret it. It says here, there is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Right, forgive me. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Talking about Daniel. Now watch this next part. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Daniel was in charge of them. Now, forgive me. I don't mean to go beyond what the Bible says, okay? So I, I want to draw the line here. He was in charge of them. I don't know beyond that what he taught them, what he allowed them to do, I don't know. But it wouldn't surprise me at all, knowing what we know about Daniel, if he didn't sit them down and go, okay, guys, time for a Bible study. 
Let's, let's open up the scroll of and take them through some of these biblical prophecies. And we know Daniel was shown some amazing things about what was going to happen. So take your Bible, look at chapter 7. Daniel 7. I wonder if Daniel, as master of the magicians, did not indoctrinate them, teach them these prophecies about a Messiah coming. Daniel 7 and verse 13. Daniel 7 and verse 13. He says here in verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Now every Jew ever since Daniel wrote this has known this is the Messiah coming gloriously. We had a question earlier about the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. It was this. They all were thinking of this. They knew this was the Messiah. Verse 14, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that, that all people. Do you guys see that? All people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So if you're one of these wise men in Babylon, and Daniel, this older man of God, is giving you a Bible study, and he has already had several prophecies, you know, come to pass, that kind of, you know that this guy has the spirit of the holy God in him. If you're one of those magicians and you say, okay, let's take notes here. There's this very special figure and he is going to be a political figure because he's going to have dominion over not just the Jewish nation, but all nations. And that's why these Gentiles will be interested to say, okay, where is he? He might be king of the Jews, but he's also going to be my king. Do you realize that's based on just one or two verses from somebody else's Bible? That's what they're basing this on. Guys, we have the entire Bible. How is it that the wise men can be so interested, so exceedingly interested in Jesus, they will travel thousands of kilometers just to get one peek at him? Shouldn't we also be interested in seeking out the face of the Lord daily because how much information do we have about him? Look at Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. So Daniel in this chapter, he has prayed and said, God, it's been 70 years. Would you please release us now from our captivity? Daniel, if you look at chapter, one, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, look at the end of the verse, whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, right? I'm sorry, forgive me. I'm sorry, I'm in verse 2. Forgive me. Verse 2 says, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Daniel's studying his Bible. He's studying Jeremiah. And he says, Jeremiah prophesied 70 years. Daniel's reading that in the 70th year. He's starting to get excited. Hey, it's time. The time has come. The release of our captivity. So for the next several verses, Daniel prays and says, God, please fulfill the Scripture. Let us out of our captivity. Take us back to our home. And then an angel comes. Gabriel is sent. You know Gabriel's the one that came in Matthew and in Luke and said the baby's going to be born, right? So now the angel Gabriel comes and says, Daniel, God will do that. He will honor that promise. Oh, but it's so much more than that. God has such a much bigger plan. And here's what I want to say as it ties to Christmas. There's so much more to Jesus than a little baby lying in a manger. 
The fact that he came in human flesh is a big deal that should touch our lives on a daily basis, but there's so much more to him than this just one event. So the angel then says, Daniel, hold on to your chair. Let me tell you what's really going to happen. Verse 24, he gets the bigger picture. Verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. To anoint, that's when you anointed someone, the Hebrew word for that was Mashiach. That's where we get the word Messiah. Look in the next verse. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Verse 26, and after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off but not for himself. The Bible predicted the Messiah would come. He would die but not for anything he had done. Now, the reason I give you this background, I know this might seem a bit technical. Why are we learning all of this? Because the Bible gave them a calendar to work with. Now, forgive me just for the sake of time. Let me give you the short version. These 70 weeks added up to 490 years. It's a prophetical way of counting time. So these men would have known from the time that Jerusalem began to be rebuilt, the clock starts and they're counting and they're counting and they're counting. And you can, not with exact certainty, but narrow it down to say, okay, we're getting close to the time when the Messiah should be coming into the world. And it wasn't the Israelites that were anxious for the Messiah to come. Very few of them were expecting the Messiah. Most of them were just thinking, God has forsaken us. But these magi, these wise men, somehow, and I'm going to say probably from this information you have here, knew there is this divine figure, this king of the Jews that is going to come and turn the world upside down. And we want to come and honor that king. So let's come back to Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, it says in verse 2 that they were going around asking for the king of the Jews. As I've mentioned, as you've seen in Daniel, the Messiah was not meant just for Israel. It's meant for everybody. Everybody. Now, I, I, even yesterday on the street, I met, I met a man, tried to give him a gospel tract. As I hand, I, there's a black gentleman. I tried to give him a tract, and he said, I don't, I don't want your Jesus. And the first thing that popped in my mind is, is I, don't, I don't have possession of him. <laughs> he's, he's not just my Jesus. He's also your Jesus, right? He's, he's not, and he said, no, no, I don't want the white Jesus. And I thought, I, I don't have a white Jesus. You realize that, right? Jesus wasn't white. And he said, ah, oh, yes, but your Jesus in the pictures has blue eyes and, and red hair and blonde, you know, blondish hair. I said, yeah, but that's not Jesus. Would you like the Jesus of the Bible? Jesus was not meant for, it's not a white man religion. You realize the first, the first place the gospel went after Jerusalem, the first man that got it was a black man. You realize that. After Jerusalem, the first church that got started after that was in Africa. It was in Ethiopia. If anything, it's a black man's religion. (laughs) The white man didn't get it until Acts chapter 10. The black man got it in Acts chapter 8. I mean, you do the math. They got it first. So, I mean, they should claim. But you you black folks in here today, you can claim it. (laughs) 
So what's your point? Jesus came for everybody. He came to save them all. Now in verse number 3, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Herod is troubled. He's intimidated because Herod is the king of this area. He's, he's in charge and now he's hearing that someone else is coming and he's called a king and he sees this as a challenge to his authority. Now you know how Herod reacts in verse number 9. He sent them, the wise men, to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Now, again, you know how the story goes. The wise men, they go a different path. They don't follow Herod's instructions. They rather follow the star. And then after they found the child, they, they don't go back to Herod. They go back home. Herod's response to this in verse number, what is it, 16? Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem. I think you guys know how this story goes. Herod was intimidated. There was somebody coming to challenge his authority, or so he thought. So he thought. Christ was going to upset the direction of Herod's life. Herod had a plan. I'm going to remain king, I'm going to run this place, I'm going to hand it over to my children when I'm done. If this king of the Jews shows up, he could overthrow my plan. He, he was envious, Herod was envious of this little baby, this young child, this two-year-old boy, because of what he could potentially do. Later on in Jesus' life, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the same thing comes out of their mouth. We have to put Jesus to death because if we don't, we will lose our nation. Everybody's going to go after him. He's becoming so popular. We have to kill him. Exactly where Jesus started in his life is where he ended up. Say, no, pastor, that's not me. I, I'm not intimidated. I'm very glad that the Savior has come. We're glad that a Savior has come, but are you glad that a king has come? Because this king, you see, he desires not only to save you and to give you the gift that is eternal life, but he also desires to run your life. It's not just Jesus coming to give you a gift. He desires for you to lay down your life as a living sacrifice, let's say gifting yourself back to him. Didn't Jesus say, if you lose your life, you'll find it? That is what Herod knew was going to happen. If I allow another king to rise up, I will lose everything. My question to you this morning is, are you ready to lose everything for the king of the Jews? Are you ready for him to turn your life upside down? In the Old Testament, we have an example of somebody also intimidated by the anointed one. You remember King Saul? He was anointed. God told him, go and take care of the Amalekites, and you know that he didn't fully obey. And God said, okay, I, I can't use you. You're no longer going to be king. In the next chapter, David, that young man, is anointed. The Spirit of God comes upon him. You know what happens after that? David goes out in the next chapter, and he takes down Goliath. And as they're coming home from war, the Israelites are singing. Saul is slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Saul is slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. They, and they're dancing and singing, and it's a parade, and they're all... Saul gets some credit, but David got ten times the credit. 
and Saul became jealous. You know what Saul tried to do? Take that javelin and throw it at him. Why? Because he's challenging the position of my authority. He might take the throne. Jesus wants to take the throne of your heart. And that is a, a large sacrifice that people sometimes get intimidated at and scared at. And I'm happy to receive him as Savior, but I'm not so sure about this Lord, this Master, this King of my life. I'm happy that Jesus comes to give me a gift. But now I don't want him asking me to lay anything down on the altar of sacrifice for him. So perhaps there might be a bit of Herod in there. Don't be intimidated. Anything that Jesus asks you to lay down on the altar for him is well worth it. We'll come back to that in a moment. Verse number 4, Matthew 2 and verse 4. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and, thou, and he's quoting from Micah here, chapter 5 and verse 2, And thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So they've answered the question. These religious leaders answered the question, Where, where is he going to be born? Bethlehem. They got that right. If you're familiar with the, with the prophecy, that's not the whole prophecy. They didn't quote the whole verse. They said he's going to be born in Bethlehem. They go on to say that there's going to come this governor, right? Uh, a, a position of dominion and authority. The end of that verse says this. This governor whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. This Messiah, this king of the Jews, this governor is eternal he doesn't have a fixed point in time when he started to exist he's from everlasting the Jews that were answering the question did not put that into the answer you know why the Jews in this time did not think the Messiah would be a divine figure they didn't realize that he would be God come down in the flesh when you go back in the Old Testament you can find that but they were ignorant of it they were ignorant of it. They knew that a Messiah would come. But they didn't know much about it. You know what I found amongst many Christians? Yes, Jesus was born, but I don't know much about it. And yes, I know that he died on a cross, but I don't know much about it. And I know that he's coming again, but I don't know much about it. You ask, and I've done it. I've, I've asked the question for 26 years now. You go out on the street and ask anybody you want. You saved? Yes. You received Christ as your Savior? Yes. I've been born again. Wonderful. What's going to happen after you die? Well, I'll go to heaven. What are you going to do then? Ask him that. What are you going to do then? You, here, here's the answer. <laughs> That's the answer. <laughs> they don't know. Whenever I do pre-marriage counseling with a couple, I always ask them, to plan out their life and I say write down on a piece of paper where you want to be after one year after five years after 10 after 40 and after a hundred years where do you want to be do the math in your head right now I'm, I'm counseling couples in their 20s telling them plan out for a hundred years where do you want to be when you're 120 years old I hate to spoil Christmas but you're gonna be dead <laughs> 
right? And here's the common answer. I want to be in heaven. There's so much more to heaven than just being there. Oh, there's so much more on the other side of the grave. Folks, it's one thing to know. Yes, Jesus will come. He's the king of the Jews. He's the governor. But, but do you know the depths? The Bible says, and the Apostle Paul prayed this, that you might know the love of Christ which passes all knowledge. So you'll never be able to wrap your head around everything that God has said about himself, but you should be seeking this information out, growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ all the time. Have you ever wondered about this part of the story? These chief priests and scribes answered the question. He's born in Bethlehem. But now Herod, look at verse 7, Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. These leaders of the Jews never said, Herod, why do you want to know? Isn't this a strange question for Herod to ask, right? This is a strange question. He has gathered all of them together in verse 4. It almost makes, if you paint the picture in your mind, there's the wise men, there's Herod, and Herod calls in the chief priest and the and the, and, said, and the scribes and ask in the presence of all of them if I'm one of those Jews answering the question I'm going to say why are we talking about the coming of the Messiah and here's some guys that have been walking for who knows months, years to get to Jerusalem what are you guys here for if, if I'm one of those guys I don't want to stay ignorant I want to know what's going on what are you guys looking for they've been all over town saying where is he that is born king of the Jews it's not like they're hiding. If I'm one of them, I say, can I join you? Can I join you on your journey? Because you're trying to find out more about my Savior. You're trying to find more about my Messiah. And evidently, you have the inside track. I want to get in on that. Why didn't these religious leaders join the wise men? You know what? They were just happy with the little bit that they knew. They were willingly ignorant. Willingly ignorant. If we continue on in verse number 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when he found them, or, I'm sorry, and, and when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Can I just say something real quick about that? Herod was intimidated by, by Jesus. Now, we know his... His words here, he didn't mean that. He doesn't want to worship him. This is a, a secret way to get in there and probably snuff the child out. But what I found is even people that are intimidated by Jesus running their life, they don't mind coming to a worship service. They don't mind coming to church. Wave the hands, praise and worship. They don't mind that. That doesn't cost anything. It does, I don't mind worshiping but don't ask for my throne. See, there's a bit of a difference in there. Now, verse number nine, when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Notice, not the baby, but the young child. Now, let's say just a quick word about this star. We've talked about the intimidated. We've talked about the ignorant. We started off with the interested group. We're going to go back to the interested group. I wanted to end on a high note, not with the other two. Here's this star. Now, the question has often come up. 
What exactly was this star? Was it an actual star coming down from the sky? If it was, in verse 9, it stands over where the young child was. If it was a star out of the solar system, it would have burned up the house. So I, I, I find it highly unlikely that it is one of those stars. You know, in the Bible, angels are referred to as stars. I would, I would prefer to say that it was some sort of a shining, perhaps, glowing angelic being that would show up and, and tell the wise men, follow me. Just like the angel Gabriel showed up to Daniel, and Daniel could have been teaching those wise men what the angel showed him, perhaps the angel showed up and said, follow me. I'll show you right where he is. Perhaps it's that. I don't know. Not, I'm not sure. But I will say this. It was divine guidance. Can we say that? It was God-sent guidance. Jesus has also sent us guidance. He said that the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. Is that not true? You know what the Holy Spirit will do? He will guide you right to where Jesus is and say, there he is. Now go worship him. That's what God desires you to do. He, he sends the star, and you're not going to follow the advice of politics, <laughs> You're not going to follow the advice of the religious leaders. You take it straight from God. In verse number 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. So that's why I say interested probably doesn't capture all of their emotion. Exceeding great joy. When you know that God is showing you something, there is nothing more exciting than that. When you know God is speaking to your heart, getting your attention, and pointing you to the one you've been searching for, waiting for your entire life. There's nothing more exciting than that. Verse 11, And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother. Can I point another thing out? When you read Matthew 2, there's two figures there, the young child and his mother. Young child and his mother. It, Jesus is always first. He's always mentioned before, the young, uh, before his mother. The young child and his mother. They saw the young child with his mother Mary and fell down and worshipped him, not her. They worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. You know, back in the Old Testament, there are a couple places where you read when the Messiah comes and sets up his kingdom, Gentiles will bring gifts to the Messiah. Did you know that? Psalm 72, Isaiah chapter 60, it says they will bring gifts of gold and incense. I wonder if these wise men didn't know that. Perhaps they knew the scripture on that and said, let's carry the appropriate gifts so that when we meet the messianic king, we can offer him the right presence. This is premeditated worship. They came ready to worship. They came ready to give the the appropriate sacrifice. Folks, the fact that you're here, I greatly appreciate. The fact anybody comes on any Sunday, thank God for that. But anytime you come, whether it's on Christmas Day or whatever day it is, when you come to worship, make sure it's premeditated worship. That you come with a ready heart and ready to give. I'm not talking about money necessarily. You know the greatest thing you can give the Lord Jesus Christ is yourself. Lay yourself on the altar and say, here I am. Use me in any way you see fit. Take the most precious things I have. They're yours. 
These men opened their treasures. I'm asking you this morning to open your heart. Open your heart. They fell down and worshipped Him. Now Mary would have been used to this. Right after Jesus was born, they took Him to the temple. Remember this? For the circumcision. And Simeon took Him up in His hands and said, this is the one I've been waiting for. God said, I would see the Lord's Christ before I die. Now I've seen Him. Now I can go. And then the prophetess Anna likewise says, this is the one we've been waiting for to bring redemption to Jerusalem. Thank God we found Him. Right? So Mary and Joseph, they're used to people worshiping Jesus. So Mary's not surprised, no doubt, to see this. People coming in and making a big deal of this little boy. We think he's about two because that's Herod called for the death of all the, peop- the kids under two. I wonder what those wise men were saying. The Bible tells us over and over that Mary kept these things in her heart. Remember that? Every time somebody would worship the Lord, Mary would keep it in her heart. I wonder what they said. As they, to worship somebody is to adore them, is to say great things about them. Imagine them coming in. What would Mary be keeping in her heart? What a privilege. What a privilege to have Jesus right there and, hear, and watch other people worship Him. Guys, that's a privilege for us. There's Mary, there's Jesus, there's other people gathering around to worship the Lord. Isn't that what we're doing this morning? Gathering to worship the Lord? We can be a blessing to each other by watching each other worship the Lord. And then lastly in verse number 12, being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. They went back to their own country. Where was that? Not sure. Maybe Babylon. Maybe somewhere else. Doesn't matter. But they went back not taking Herod's advice, but rather the guidance that God gave them. So as you depart today, here's what I would ask you to do. Go out, go back home, wherever that is, and don't you know that when these wise men got back to their country, don't you think they told somebody what they saw? Don't you, don't you think they lit the place up? They blazed abroad the matter and said, the one we've been waiting 480 some odd years, we finally found him. We saw him. The star led us like this. They no doubt told the story to everybody around them. So that's what I would ask you to do. Every chance you get when you go home, you tell somebody what God has done in your heart and in your life. Let's all stand if you would, please. We'll just bow our heads and we'll have a word of prayer. I'm not going to give you any sort of invitation, just give you a moment as I pray to also pray about this. We're going to have a gift exchange in a moment. I'll explain that now. Even guys there at the AV table, if you want to turn off the live stream, that's fine as well. But as we pray, I would invite you to think about this. If you have never been saved... If you've never asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save your soul, what a great day to do that. How do you handle Christmas? Are you intimidated that Jesus will take center stage in your life? Are you ignorant? 
just happy to go along with the smallest amount of knowledge? Or are you interested, exceedingly interested, to learn more, to know Him better, to worship Him? Those are your options. Father, thank You so much for sending Your Son in human form. Lord, we know that You did that so that You could associate with us as as brothers and sisters, but Lord, also, You had to become human to die for us. Lord, we're interested in that. What You did has completely changed our lives. It's turned our worlds upside down. Help us, Father, not to be ashamed of that, but everywhere we go to spread that news abroad. Father, these that have come this morning, if there is somebody amongst us that has never been saved, might this be the day they come to know Jesus Christ personally. And Father, as we depart to our homes 